I'm Jordan Weitzman, and this is Magic Hour. Teju Cole is our guest on the show today. A celebrated author known first and foremost for his writing through his novels such as Open City and Every Day is for the Thief. Much of his creative output is also dedicated to photography. He was born in Michigan to Nigerian parents, moved back to Lagos at an early age, and then returned to the U.S. at age 17. He's been making his own photographs for over 15 years and writing on the subject of photography since 2012. His essays have appeared in The New Yorker and Aperture, and as photo critic for the New York Times Magazine, he writes the monthly column On Photography, where he explores issues and ideas central to the discourse around photography today. We sat down to have this conversation at his office in Sunset Park in Brooklyn at an exciting time for him. His first solo show in the U.S. at the Stephen Kasher Gallery in New York is currently up, and he just launched his latest book, Blind Spot, a collection of photographs from his travels, paired with a short piece of text that he wrote for each one. I mean, I think the first thing to say is that it's it's very interesting and challenging and weird for a photography critic to be presenting a book of photographs. And people have tended to be reticent about that sort of thing. Um, Sharkovsky, I don't know if he published his books as a photo, uh, his, his photos as a book in his lifetime. He probably did. He did, yeah. But, you know, sort of always holding back, right? It was it was sort of like later. And, and yet it was a very avid part of his practice. Um, of course, the ringing exception is, is Walker Evans, who... People think of him as a photographer, not as an academic, even though that was so much a part of his work. You know, he was a great photographer who was also a very good writer, you know. And of course, um, Robert Adams is a great uh, photographer who is also a great writer. Which are your favorite uh, books or essays of Robert Adams? There's one called On Beauty, you know? Is that uh, what it's called? Beauty, no, Beauty, 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 Beauty and Photography? Yes. You know, the thing with with Adams is is he'll write a two-page preface and, you, and you'll just be like oh my god why can he write why can he write so well why does it feel as if not a single word is out of place you know yeah so even just summer summer nights walking or you know wow. uh you know uh this day you know just little things like that where you just think wow he just absolutely just nailed it yeah. you know um he has he has such a, such a sense of ethics and responsibility he truly is a poet uh but anyway you know there was a kind of um foolhardiness for me to just say, look, I also do this and I always have. I've been doing this before I became a photo critic. It begins with almost temporarily turning off the critical faculty and entering into the vulnerability of making art. You know, of saying not what does it mean to inform someone, but rather what does it mean to move them. You know, so... And then... Pretty much, you just stop sticking things up. You, you know, you start sequencing. It was interesting in this case in particular because each thing was going to be with words, you know. Um, it was going to be a particular rhythm so that not only did the photos have to work as a sequence, obviously with kind of like montage-like breaks, surprises, but then after, you know, there's a sequence of ladders, there's a sequence of people seen from behind, you know, and so on. Um, there's, a, there's a minute sequence of crosses, you know, that sort of thing. But at the same time, it has to work so that the prose is working as a sequence as well. I, I'm, I'm very much somebody who embraces influence. I have many, 
I love it when somebody has an elegant solution to a problem. I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. I think people get very tangled up in in obsessing over originality and then we lose the the pith of the work, you know. When really what you want to do is add an element to a pre-existing base and then that allows you to develop and open out. So, you know, Shore was a new topographic, really. He was, and he was in the show. Um, he added the element of color, started exploring it, and then that led to other energies happening. It wasn't like nobody had ever taken pictures of banal things before, but he started adding things to it and, and you know, sort of growing that like that. So for me, you know, two of the most important um, uh, background uh, supporters artistically of the of this project one was Sharkovsky's book on Adje. Mm-hmm. Do you know that book? The four volume set? No, the uh, the compressed one volume set. Let me grab it. What was important about this book for me is that is just that very simple thing of a picture and some short prose. Short prose where every word is carefully selected, you know. On the left he has text, on the right he has photography. Each entry was a kind of a morsel. And yet, over time, it became a work. Um, it's not a conventional way of saying, oh, I want to write a monograph. Partly because they are not catalog entries. So we've seen that before, you know, the catalog entries for each picture. But that's not what he's doing. Each thing is actually just a little essay. Sometimes coming at the picture from an unexpected direction. So that was, that was one inspiration. Once you kind of established that you wanted to do a, uh, you wanted to have these types of pairings, what type of balance were you looking at in, um, in the image and text combos? How did you want the writing to inform the image or vice versa? Yeah. Um, I wanted the images to be the quieter p- partner. They don't always disclose much. You know, just because of the style, just because of the priorities of the shooting, they tend to be reticent. They tend to turn away from you or just to de- depict objects. They're not, they're not spectacular. The writing is not that exegetical either. It's telling you a lot, but it's not necessarily telling you a lot about what's in here. You know, until it does, because there's some pictures where I actually literally just describe what you're looking at in an ekphrastic way. Um... But I think the heart of this project is the idea that you're looking at something, you're seeing something in it, but when you start reading the text, you're now realizing that there's more in it that you're not seeing. You might even be able to see what is in the picture, but you can't necessarily tell what my state of mind is. What my state of mind is in the moment of making it. How are you writing the prose or the, 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 text? the text? Do you carry a notebook all the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Were you writing as you were taking pictures or did you, were you looking at the pictures? No, and then I, I, I rarely do them simultaneously. But I mean, I mean what, what we should mention is that this is, in a way, this is also a travel book. You know, this, this is 25 different countries and at, at the back of the book is, um, is a kind of, there's an index of, of places visited um, oh, lovely. Right. Mm-hmm. So, 
25 different countries and many, many, many towns and cities. Mm-hmm. Um, in each place I go to, I, t- I took my camera. This, enti- this book is entirely shot in um, uh, 35 millimeter film. Um, yeah, various things like uh, uh, Yashika, but largely this. Canon Elan. Hmm. Yeah. So everybody always thinks it's a digital camera, but it's just a very late model. Yeah. Um, highly automated uh, 35 millimeter camera. Um, for this project, the majority of it was actually shot with this. We're looking at black paper on yeah, the wall? Yeah, black paper. Yeah. Um, partly because I just needed to do a lot of nocturnal shooting and I needed more control. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been a great tool for that. Yeah. So each place I go, I'm toting this around. I have my film. I'm making pictures, hoping for something to emerge. Um, and also, each place I go, I'm jotting down notes. Yeah. But I don't know what's going to belong to what. To begin with, if you're shooting film, you actually don't know what's going to work. You know? You know, a, a pretty good example of that is that um, I went to the National Museum in... Uh, I went to the National Museum in, in, in Beirut... And there was a story I was very struck with, right? Um, the idea of things being, um, being dis- uh, having been destroyed in the war, some things having been fixed, um, some things having been left in ruins. Um, and I was particularly struck by one artwork, um, which was from the 4th century BCE. Um, it, was a, it was a kind of like an altar from the Phoenician times. It was a procession of dancers and on each dancer the face had been smashed off um, I took a picture of it you know my settings or whatever low light in there didn't really work out but I wanted to tell that story because I wanted to think about the, the, the facing the, the, the destruction of these faces it happened in a place where back then there had been an, an earthquake but an earthquake is not a precision weapon <laughs> it's not going to just take out the faces and the, 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 the ruins had also been used as a marble quarry but you're not going to like quarry marble by taking off these small faces. You're going to use columns. And so I, I talked about how it was actually the coming of a new religion, Christianity, where it was like against idolatry. They were smashing off the faces. Okay, so that's, that's a story I tell. But I had the photo or the photos I took. One was out of focus. One was too grainy. I did not use it. So I used another photo from Beirut mm. that was not taken at the museum but that for me worked independently better as a photo. Right. And so that was, that could not have been predicted for me, but for me, this is a pairing that works. And in fact, it's not so much a pairing as it's a trio. It's the story, it's a photo, and then it's a title, Beirut. So those are three different things that are functioning in three different ways. But if I say that's Beirut, that's Beirut, that's Beirut, that's Beirut, and then, you know, all three work together. Mm. Interesting. You've said that one of the qualities of a great work of art is that it needs to stand up to repetition, to mm-hmm. re- revisiting something over and over yeah. and still finding something in there. Yeah. Do you ever think about, well, I guess the, the question is, uh, is, is twofold. The first one has to do with individual photos. Do you ever think of the qualities that certain photos have that bring you back to them over and over yeah what what is what is that magic right yeah <laughs> i haven't just finished my uh 22nd 
on photography essay? Yeah. The answer is yes. I do think about what it is <laughs> that makes certain pictures work. <laughs> That's literally what I do for a living. Uh, but the answer is that the, the, the answer to what makes a picture work is always different. But each one has something in it that is not the conventional. Some, there's something that's off. There's something eccentric. There's something peculiar about each picture that really works. And sometimes it is the fanatical level of its crispness, Thomas Demand or whatever. And sometimes it is the accuracy of its color harmony, you know, um, Helen Levitt, you know. Sometimes it is its absolute mastery of blur so that it gives you a sense of the flow of life, you know, like Robert Frank, the Americans. But in each, there is some kind of forcefulness or energy that rescues it from just banality. Even when what, what the person is working with is banality. And of course, we also recognize that there are people who have great projects who have lots of photos that are not great photos, but the project is great. Mm. And I think that is also like an important representative value, you know. Um, there are people who write great novels without being ex 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 especially great stylists of, of sentences, you know. Dostoevsky doesn't really particularly write good sentences, but, the, you know, the novels are great because that's also a cumulative thing. So sometimes I'm very interested in great pictures, but I don't think that's the only thing that there is. Sometimes it's, 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 the, it's the body of, of the work. However, in most great projects, there's usually, you know, some great pictures. You mm -hmm. know? I'm trying to think of a great project that does not have great pictures in it. You know, even Robert Adams, who generally doesn't have great pictures, um, and the projects are great, he has a bunch of great pictures. He does. Yeah. I mean, a bunch of, but you know that not all his pictures are great. No. You know, many of them are working within the flow. Right, within the context of a book. Within the context of a book, yeah, generally for him, a book, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, and nevertheless, probably until my dying day, there will be at least some interest in some pictures are just great. Some mm. pictures are just. Teju, you clearly have a great cultural and intellectual curiosity, which really comes through in all your work. One of the things I was most curious about in preparing for this interview was whether that was very present in your upbringing or if you came to a lot on your own. Um, I think th the answer is both. Um, like a lot of middle-class families, I think my, my family emphasized learning, education, you know, doing well at school, having good grades. Um, my artistic inclinations, I was an, I was an art major in undergrad, um, and in and in high school, I was I was doing drawing and painting and all of that. My artistic inclinations were not um, were not discouraged in any way at all, um, and they were actually encouraged. I don't think my parents thought, "Oh, you can make a living doing this," but they they knew it was something to be fostered. But you know, the mystery of being an autodidact is um, is not one that's easy to solve either. You just find that you have a passion for going all the way in on something. Passion and curiosity. Absolutely. And yeah. just to say that I'm going to spend a lot of time on this. So in my life, I've spent a lot of time listening to music, not because I'm going to be a musician, not because I'm going to be a radio host, but because when I love something, I just want to spend a lot of time on it. 
How did you first get into photography? Who? And then photography came later, you know, it came yeah. actually quite late, I would say. Uh, photography became super important to me maybe about 15 years ago. Was there one photographer that caught your eye at first that particularly excited you? No, actually, for me, it probably really took off with... So I'm trained as an art historian. You know, I have a undergraduate degree in art history. I have a master's degree in art history. I have another master's... I have three degrees, and they're all in art history. Mm -hmm. Undergraduate degrees in art and art history. Anyway, the visual training was there. Photography was never important. I, I, I liked some photography. I liked, you know... I was aware of Cartier-Bresson, you know, I was aware of Robert Frank. But when the first pretty good tiny digital cameras came out, you know, I got a Canon Elf or whatever, three megapixel. I was shooting with it. And there was a curious bit of flattery from a friend of mine because he said, huh, you have a really good eye. I'm curious what you would be able to do with a better camera, you know, like a five megapixel camera. Yeah. I thought, well, I can't afford one, but that's interesting, you know. <laughs> I have a good eye, you know, like even with a scrap tool, you know. So that sort of got into my head and en- encouraged me. But then where the process went from there was I became obsessed with what does it mean to develop one's eye? Mm-hmm. Um, and then simultaneously, I'm taking lots of pictures and I'm reading a lot about photography. I'm learning a lot about photography. I started taking, I took a master class with Alex Webb, I took a master class with Joel Mayerowitz. I'm very interested in street photography. Um, you know, at some point, I start shooting film because that's the normal trajectory. Um, the hunger for better and better description. Yeah, and that's, that's how those things developed in tandem. Um, you know, a relatively early essay I wrote was my essay about um, Pinkasov in the new inquiry. Uh, let me see if I can find it. So that's an essay I wrote about five years ago in 2012. Hmm. And it was one of the first times I wrote something at length, trying to really get under the skin of what a photographer was doing. I had written other things about photography before, but this was, you know. So there was this process for myself, as somebody who loved photography, of trying to give an account of what a photographer was doing in their praxis. Mm. That process was not about explaining their work. It was about getting into it so that I could do it. Right. And that is true of all 22 of my essays. There's something about what they're doing that interests me, but not just as a civilian looking at it, but it's as somebody who does photography. Mm. Um, whether it's the practical side of it, whether it's their gear, whether it's the ethics of their work, whether it's the way they put together a project or the, you know, or the techno- technology that they participate in. So I come to fo- photographic criticism as, as an inexhaustibly curious practitioner of photography. Mm. So that's that's so that's so that's how the two of them developed for me. You know, it's you know, it's about, you know, looking at a picture like this one and saying, well, it's relatively simple, but why does it work? Right. And how does he accomplish it? You know, and and how do other people who have attempted it fail at it? 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Social media has been a place that Teju Cole has used to experiment creatively. In 2014, he gave up Twitter, which he was prolific on, and since, Instagram has become a platform that he's used similarly to try things out. When you put something out there, there are many ways in which posting a picture could affect the future life of that picture. If you post a picture, well, in the first case, it's been seen in some kind of context. So it's, it, you've, you've put it out into the bloodstream so that if it shows up in a later work, people would, maybe would be like, oh, I've seen that before. And they're not like, oh, I've seen that before. I don't care. It's more like, oh, I've seen that before. I'm used to this person's language. And, you know, it's like meeting an old friend. Um, there are two major ways in which posting, for me to post a picture on Instagram and have it be seen by a few thousand people, not that many people, but, you know, a few thousand, how that can affect my own read of that picture. One way is there are some things that are relatively more popular and there's some things that are relatively less popular through all these likes. And that tells me something about the picture that I might have been missing. Mm. Um, so that if I put up something and it is like instantaneously sort of like super popular, I know that... Not always, but more likely than not, it's failing on some level, right? It, 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 it had, there's something too easy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually a pretty good clue. I'm not saying if something is liked, it's not good. I'm saying if something is liked a lot, very fast, it means that I slipped up somewhere and there's a bit of playing to the gallery that happened. It's mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, for example, I had a picture that very much reminded me of, of the cover of a noir, mm-hmm. you know, and it got like a thousand likes. And, and it, was so, it was so like because it, it had been seen before in a way. Yeah. People knew what to expect. So is what you're saying that the more likes you get sometimes, sometimes that's, that's a bit of a, a cautionary tale. It doesn't oh, make no. you feel good. Absolutely, yeah. Uh-huh. It's an inverse kind of thing. You know, I mean, I, I sort of have the sense of the normal number of likes a, a piece of mind should get after a while you also sort of get a sense of that you know if it has too few it might i mean there's so many variables but you know like i said twenty-seven thousand followers if i put up something and only it gets 300 likes it could be because i put it up at 4 Mm a.m and because the algorithm didn't show it but very often it also means that maybe the question of the timing you know they've maybe i've posted too much or it, it might just be a little bit too abstract. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing for people to hold on to. And it makes me query the image. Mm-hmm. Around 600, 700 means, okay, I'm inside my language. This is good. Um, maybe about 800 might mean I'm, I'm still within my language, but this is a particularly strong image that communicates mm-hmm. well. If it gets to 1,200... I know it's tipped over into being too cheesy. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really funny 
Meanwhile, I think most people who have maybe a similar number of followers to me tend to get far more likes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've actually noticed this. So, I mean, people will tease me. They'll be like, oh, you know, you're so popular on Instagram. You could just like put up a picture of any old crap and you still get like hundreds of likes. I'm like, well, actually, for this many number of followers, I mean, most people who have this many followers routinely just sort of get 3,000, 5,000 likes on, on each thing because I th- my, my sense is that they're really providing a very sort of reliable sort of content, you know. Here's my fabulous hair. Here's, it doesn't have to be as silly as, as here's me in a bikini, but it, th- there is a, a much more, you know, my pictures have tension in them very often because I'm, you know, exploring something. Anyway, so much for likes. It's a weird thing to talk about, but yeah. you know, it's, it's something I think about because it's, it is part of the way we engage these days. And it's not um, an uncomplicated sort of thing. You know, there's like a, there's a sweet spot. Sometimes you'll, you'll include a little piece of writing or a caption with your photos and sometimes mm-hmm. just a photo. Mm-hmm. Do you find that that has... Uh, an effect on how people... Re- people respond to it, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think people like writing. Mm-hmm. People like the writing, yeah. People like a bit of, uh, some kind of context. Yeah, yeah, I think they do, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, which I do as well, but I'm also, you know, at the moment my bio says River of Images mm-hmm. and uh, on, on Instagram. And, and so I'm definitely interested also in the flow of pictures across the days. But just to finish this, this, this thought about... Um, about the effect that putting something on Instagram has on the picture. The other effect it has is when I put something on Instagram, I know it has been seen. And and this is different from likes or not likes. A move has happened. It has gone from being a picture I, I, I took to a picture I worked on a little bit and then presented. And presenting it transfigures it because in, in the immediate aftermath of presenting something, regardless of the reaction, you gain some kind of new knowledge about it. Mm. Um, immediately, its flaws become apparent. Immediately, its strengths become apparent. In fact, you posted it because you thought it had certain strengths. But the moment you put something out there, there's a very quick review process, second-guessing that happens that is revelatory. So that's helpful for me. Uh, because you know, do you, do you know what I mean? Totally, it's yeah. seen, yeah, yeah, so. totally. So it's it's been a it's been a helpful platform for my own selfish purposes of you know putting together a book, putting together you know images, preparing yeah. for a show. Um, I'm I'm using Instagram as a kind of workshop. I'm curious that photo that you just mentioned that resembled the noir cover. You described it as being unsuccessful because you've seen it before. Because people have seen it before, and that's why they're responding to it. Oftentimes when you're out making photos, you might respond to something because you've seen it as a successful photo before. How do you get past that? On the one hand, I really sort of like the pleasure principle. I like a photograph that gives pleasure, you know, and um, and that gives not an obvious pleasure, but that gives a a kind of visceral pleasure, um, you know, in how the f- photograph lo- looks, um, like where you think, oh, that, that works. 
on the other hand while i'm out on the street and everything you know i'm seeing i might be with somebody who says ah that's a good photo you know and then i go into like mentally i go into photo critic mode where i say well no that's that's an interesting scene how do you know it's a good photo the photo is a result it's not the thing right and something and usually when somebody points to something and say that's a good photo usually that's a pretty good warning that it won't be a good photo it would be um a conventionally pretty photo right just looking at your work you you get a sense that what you're really interested in is finding meaning in the everyday and the thing yeah yeah not not just finding meaning in the everyday but making pictures out of relatively unpromising uh situations and when i say make a picture i'm talking about making a composition like you know like de kooning would do or that you know rauschenberg would do like a painter would make a picture and say in this part there's this and and there's a balance and you know so that nobody sits here and says oh that's a good picture but for me i could have you know a little bit of your shoulder and a little bit of that plant and the top of that uh, uh heating panel and the mess on the table it could be a good picture it could also be a banal, messy picture, but I wouldn't say, "Oh, there's absolutely nothing there." You know, um, what really helps me with that is actually thinking about the people who who compose good pictures, who compose good, unexpected pictures. Usually, having to do with the banal. Okay, so of course, I think about Stephen Shore and William Eggleston. Um, you know, but for me. Um, you know, three of the best makers of pictures, composers of the picture plane currently in the game are John Gossage. One of my favorites. Have you seen the recent work, the Italian one, Pomodoro? You know, it's funny that you mention that because that's a book that I find myself returning to over and over lately. Mm. And... Um, it's extraordinary. I mean, it's a one. It's a it's a beautiful book. I mean, because we're talking about composition, you're like we're talking about composing from the edges. The thing that I find uh, incredible about John Gossage is that he really has his own voice in a very uh, difficult tradition to have one in. Yes, you know, talking about color photography. Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah, so the challenge becomes: he, How does someone like Gossage break free of the influence of Eggleston? Right. I mean, right. In making apparently artless photographs on the street and but he does he's much bolder compositionally than Eggleston is um to the extent that I was talking to another to another photography critic actually who's like he loves Eggleston and he cannot get the recent work by Gossage yeah he just can't get it I'm like really it's it's composing I was like and he's a very sophisticated thing about photography I was like let's it's it's composition you just have to allow that it's composition the way Cy Twombly works Mm -hmm. because the elements are in the right place. Yeah. You know, it's, it visually stimulates the eye and, and the, and the, and the, and the visual faculty. It's interesting that we're talking about John Gossage because he's someone who's had a lot of interesting thoughts on landscape and photography, uh, especially in relation to his book, The Pond. I was wondering where your mind goes when you think about landscape and photography, which is very different to landscape and literature, which is usually used more more as a setting? I think because of uh, my earlier writing, very quickly, I wouldn't say I got typecast, but 
very much people thought of me as a city writer or a city author. You know, I grew up in Lagos. I live in New York. You know, I've written, you know, I had written two books. They were both about cities and city life and cosmopolitanism. Um, but if you look at my photography, that's actually not true at all. It's, you know, more than half of it is out in very small places or in the countryside. And obviously I have mountain fever. Mm-hmm. You know, landscapes are interesting for somebody who grew up and especially sort of like these vertiginous landscapes for somebody who grew up in um, in a flat, overpopulated city at sea level, you know, in West Africa. Um, like there could be nothing farther from my experience than being in Vals. Mm-hmm. And yet that feels like very much part of my my thinking and my sensibility. So... I think the in the past eight, nine months or so, the photographer that has probably occasioned the most you know, Im- important shift in my, in my thinking, or, or at least that I've thought about the most, is Jem Southern. Mm-hmm. Beautiful book made of that. Beautiful. Now, he's shooting large format. He's very, very patient photography you know, of, of, of landscape. Not dissimilar to the pond, but Southern is studying a small area for a very extended period of time in an unsystematic way. You know, he would talk about how he would make an exposure and then three years later he'll make another and then maybe two years later another. Not precisely at the same spot, but generally the same view. And then he's like, ah, I, you know, I've done three. The, the, the work is done and that's the work, mm-hmm. those three. So re- registering subtle changes in the, in the terrain, you know, um, it was it was something that, you know, I had sort of looked at Meyerowitz, Central Park, and all of that, and not quite seen it. I didn't see why why these pictures are as interesting as other stuff. You know, when he's doing Cape Light, I get it. When he's doing the street work, I get it. What's this Central Park stuff? But now I'm able to go back and look at a landscape photograph in the same way that the moment I see a street photograph, I can read it for. How much tension is there? How much? How well does it work? Is, does, does this succeed? I mean, you you can tell just like that, you know. Yeah. Does this succeed? And now with landscape, I'm also able to do that a lot better than I could, because I've been thinking a lot about what is the requisite amount of tension and order, stability, surprise, those elements. What mixture of them do you have that allows a landscape to succeed? And at what point does the landscape just fail because it's it's banal and it's a postcard? Yeah. I'm reminded of the essay you wrote in your own photography column uh, where you cited uh, the William Christenberry photos. Yes, um, absolutely. Describing a similar kind of thing. Absolutely. So why, yeah. why does Ansel Adams pretty much fail for me and Robert Adams works, you know? Yeah. Which I'm sure you're pretty you agree with probably yeah, I do. Yeah. you know um poor ansel but you know there are people who like him and it, it, he's he's extremely expensive yeah um but what do we have going there beyond you know pictorial dis- description mm-hmm. right um actually there's a lot in his work it's just not i mean the obvious things it's it's it, it's 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 too par- it's too perfect and uh the composition is simply not good enough right right in in that sense of what what makes a composition good enough he's academic and it's it's therefore dry and meanwhile if you look at southern he allows other energies in that are more vernacular energies more again um 
intelligent composer. He's not like these guys. He's not he's not wild. He's not putting like some random like dash of red wheelbarrow on the on the just cut cut off by the frame. Yeah. Um and yet he still has a sense of how the lines are working. And then the same thing when, you know, when Stephen Short does a landscape, you know, there's something about when Short does a landscape, um Joel Sternfield does good landscapes. I think Short does better landscapes in the same tradition, in that particular deadpan American tradition. I think Mitch Epstein does great landscapes or treescapes or whatever. I mean, yeah. they're, they're great pictures, you know. So it's a tough thing. It's a, it's, it's a funny one to, to puzzle through. It is. Uh, there's a criteria that I really like in thinking about whether a photo succeeds or fails, which is that a photo needs to be greater than the event itself. Uh, Winogrand has this great line, I think it's in reference to his very charged and controversial photo of an interracial couple holding two monkeys, which is, monkeys make the problem harder. When you have such charged subject matter, or conventionally beautiful subject matter, like a mountain range in an Ansel Adams photo, the question is, how do you make a photo that transcends what's in front of you? Yeah, the monkeys make it harder. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, so how do you charge the picture with something beyond the occasion? How do you outdistance the given? You know, which sometimes you can do in a single photo, and sometimes the approach is to accomplish it through a sequence, right? Um, I find it very hard to make a picture of a mountain, right? So what I then give is a sequence, right? So that collectively, that sequence then becomes my response to having been in this landscape. I mean, as an individual picture, I mean, this, this, is, this is fine. I think it works. But it's more interesting to me because it's this and then this and then this and then this. You know, I'm, I'm expressing a, um, a thinking through. Teju, thanks so much for having me over Congratulations on the release of Blind Spot and the exhibition at Stephen Casher this month. Thank you. I hope you get a chance to check it out. And yeah. Uh, yeah. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. That was my conversation with Teju Cole. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Crystal Duhame. Music in this episode by Damien Lazarus, Michelle Macklem, Poddington Bear, and The Monks. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where we'll keep you up to date. And feel free to send me an email and let me know what you think of the show. We really value your feedback, and we're always trying to find new ways to improve the show. I'm Jordan Weitzman, and thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.